to episode 128 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 7th of June, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hola. Graham. Hello. And Will. Welcome, traveller. <laughs> so here we are. It is pantsing hot, is all I will say. So we'd better get on with it. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to plug Two and a Half Admins, episode 40. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. We talked about Freenode two episodes ago and that whole drama, but we somewhat glossed over the details because the four of us don't really care that much. But Jim cared enough to write about it and uh, did a really good breakdown of it. So if you care about that whole Freenode thing, check it out. And uh, check out Two and a Half Admins generally, 2.5admins.com. It's a great show. And also, Fostalk Live is happening this Saturday, the 12th of June. How exciting. If you go to fostalk.com, you will see uh, a YouTube video embedded there. That is going to be the live stream starting at 7 p.m. on Saturday. Are you all excited for this? I am. It's going to be great. Uh, Linux Lads, ours, Ubuntu Voltage, which is Ubuntu Podcast and Stuart Language, and then a special one-off, the new show with Puppy and Dan and me. So, uh, yeah, be there and be square, like <laughs> by mine, sci-fi con. So let's do some news then. And the first one is there is a new release of Firefox version 89, which is visually very different. What do we think of this? Shite. <laughs> <laughs> you said you like change. I never said that. I like good change, not shite change. I don't know. I was resistant to this at first. I thought, oh, no, everything's different. and ah. But then I thought, well, actually, it's not really different at all. It's fine. What are people moaning about? I know I'm getting older and all, but Jesus, I'm not that blind that I need to have monster-sized tabs with stupid white space everywhere. The amount of padding on that thing, it's like a 1980s suit, for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't look like that on XFCE to me. I I thought it looked really different, but then I compared before and after, and it looked pretty much the same, except now it's got a dark mode, which is nice. Nah, it's terrible. Just the amount of space. I tried it for a day, and... I just got progressively angrier throughout the day and I reverted all the changes using the about config settings. (laughs) That's a dangerous road to go down because you know that eventually you'll not be able to do that. They'll change it. Yeah, but by that point, I'll be their only user. So therefore, you know, (laughs) their choice. I don't think it's so bad. And the dark theme is pretty good. I use a dark desktop, but the contrast is a little bit too hard for my old eyes but um the arc dark theme extension works really well on it the tabs are a bit floaty i do kind of like minimalism and as little screen real estate to be taken as possible but i don't know i could see that looking attractive on other normal users computers more perhaps than the uh, tabs that we have now and they do seem more informative how many tabs do you have open right now i've got about 15 so can you see like one letter of each of those tabs then essentially? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's a joke. It's not usable. It's it's great if you've got like five sites at most open. That's not different, I suppose, to how I would normally use Firefox. Um, I do. I often spend a lot of time removing stuff from, I don't know what the bit that they call it, by, by the little icon, by the login icon. Um, I manually remove a load of stuff and didn't have to do that so much this time. You can tuck them away in the menu, and a lot of those are tucked away by default now. Still got Pocket there, eh? Yeah, yeah. And I, I do use Pocket. I just wish that they dropped the subscription model and, you know, opened it up and put a bit of love into it. I think it's still a really useful service. 
The most frustrating change for me is that they've removed all of the icons next to the menu text. Um, now, perhaps for you guys, that's fine, and you can just read the the very long list of options um, quickly. But I don't know. I'm just trained, I think, or perhaps that's just the way my brain works, to look for the picture. I find it much quicker. So if you want to find the print button, I don't look for the word print in a list of 20 or 30 items. I look for the printer icon, and now it's not there. So now I have to read all of those things to find the thing I want. And they've moved them a bit as well, which is annoying. Well, hang on. You don't look for print in the menu. You press Control P. Well, all right. What's the download shortcut? What's the passwords shortcut? Yeah, fair enough. Well, on my Arch desktop, I use Vim bindings <laughs> in Firefox anyway. <laughs> Shoehorn that in there. Well, I don't mind. I think that it's all right. And the justification for the floating tabs was because you can move them around and peel them off and stuff. And people didn't necessarily know that. I think it does look more modern. And I I was resistant at first, but ultimately I think it's fine. It's not like spectacularly great and it's not shit. It's just whatever to me. I want three lines of text per tab in like 0.2 size font. What you need is a higher resolution monitor failure. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and higher resolution eyes to go with it. Yeah, that, that is the slight issue there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now, what you want is just a 27-inch 1440p like I've got, and you want to sit like two feet away from it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like uh, IMAX style. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Audacity then. And MuseScore, the new owners of Audacity, have found yet another way to piss off the community. This time by enforcing a contributor license agreement, something uh, which, Graham and Will, you are somewhat familiar with from uh, Ubuntu. They've got one of those, haven't they? Yes, there is a CLA for contributing to um, a whole host of Canonical and Ubuntu projects. I don't think the reasoning, I mean, speaking personally, I don't think it's nefarious. I just think it's to, to try and manage what we can and can't do with the code that's submitted to us without going to every contributor and reassigning copyright. And I assume it's going to be something similar with this. Well, yeah, one of the reasons they're giving for this is app stores, because, for example, Apple don't allow GPL code. And also they want to change it to GPL3 from GPL2. And it is much easier if the copyright is assigned to them. They can just do what they want with license changes and stuff. So I do see the practical um, reasons for this, but it has pissed a lot of people off. And, you know, they're already on shaky ground with the community, aren't they? I agree. But I mean, I just recently installed Audacity and it really is a, a bad looking app. I just, I don't have much sympathy for the project. I turned on dark mode. Have you turned that on recently? And I, keep, I have a lot of hope for it, but then there's so much glaring brightness in the dark mode that I have to switch back to light mode again. And I just wonder if any of this is going to lead to improvements in Audacity, maybe it's going to be a good thing because nothing has changed for the last 10 years. I do wonder how many community contributors they have. I mean, last time I looked, there seemed to be the hardcore of developers and not very many other people contributing. I don't think a lot of people are contributing to it. This will certainly not help, uh, but it will pave the way to a fork in the very near future, I imagine. Well, maybe, but who would maintain that fork? You end up in a situation like Glimpse, where they forked GIMP because they didn't like the name. They tried to get GIMP to change the name. Those devs said no, and so Glimpse was born. And... Um, that has not worked out. After a couple of years, they've finally thrown the towel in in the last couple of weeks and uh, admitted defeat. 
I think the story behind Glimpse is a little bit more complicated with the situation that Bobby Moss, the person who initially fought the project, found themselves in, in that I think it was taking an, a huge amount of work. Like it's one of those classic open source stories where the community has the success of the project leads to so many demands on the people who maintain the project, which is basically just Bobby Moss. It caused trouble. They're employed by Oracle. And I think there was just going by the, the public statements that were made, their employer was worried about um, the effect on the work that they'll be able to do. And it's basically just comes down to one person. With Audacity, it might lead, maybe the old project gatekeepers stopped innovation uh, and maybe a fork could reinvigorate the project and more people, fresh minds will get involved. It could happen. Maybe. I like how Bobby says at the end of the post about Glimpse, uh, while our project will probably be branded a failure by those with the loudest voices, we hope our backers feel that the faith they placed in us was rewarded. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're telling people to fucking use GIMP. So I'm sorry, mate. Like I might have a loud voice here, but it was a fucking failure. I do think you're right generally, but I think it's also a, a great indicator of what can happen to what might be a great idea in the pub, you know, to take over a project, fork its name and everything. And the reality of that project after loads of people start using it and the demands on you as a team or as a person. And I think it's a good example of that as well. What if we started our own magazine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. Look, I, th I think the real victim of this is Philip Witt, who for A-Press Publishing wrote Practical Glimpse. Now, IT books always have a fairly short shelf life, but I mean, this has to go down in record given that the project stopped existing after about four months after writing this. But if, if he does set a glimpse to um, GIMP, he might find himself with a whole new market. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the strange thing about that whole game thing. Like, I never saw it as, like, disabled people or whatever. Like, for me, it's like Pulp Fiction, you know, bring out the gimp and all that. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with the name, but it isn't a very professional name. No. And I did, you know, to try and explain that to people, like parents and other people, yeah, just install the gimp. Just have to hold your hand, <laughs> wave your hands around and go, yeah. Well, that's why Fabian Churchill said at the time of this glimpse fork that um, they should call it GNU imp problem solved like to start calling it just imp rather than gimp and then you know satanic panic joe satanic panic you can't uh, be having imps jumping around the place fair enough okay this episode is sponsored by linode go to linode.com slash late night linux to get started with a hundred dollars free credit and 60 days to use it Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with a choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up, and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit, and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. All right, so there was a post on the Ardor Discourse forum recently, and it was someone calling themselves Free Your Builds. And they just said, 
uploaded a mirror to archive.org. Keep up the great work. And then a link to mirror download for Ardor 6 binaries. And then Paul Davis, the Ardor creator, said that, well, okay, you can do that, but that's not very nice of you to do that, especially since you've literally just registered on this forum and have done so just to post this. The background being, of course, that although if you use a Linux distro, you can install Ardor for free as in beer by apt installing it or yum or DNF or whatever. If you are using Windows or Mac, to get the binaries, you have to pay a small amount for that. Yeah. I mean, I use Ardor. I've paid for a subscription to use Ardor. I've also built Ardor from source code when I've needed to on Mac OS and on Linux. It comes for free with most distributions anyway. I have a lot of sympathy with Paul Davis, and it's an interesting thread in that before he created the paywall for contributions to pay his salary, the contributions were minuscule, nothing like what would be needed to pay a full-time developer salary. And at the moment, the contributions are something like nine. I, I, it's a it's a decent salary. Um, the June goal, for example, is $8,000, um, which is going to be about $100,000 a year to pay for Paul Davis and another developer, I think. Um, and it's had a huge impact on the quality of Arda development and the, the things that it's been able to do. But I think apart from that, there's a much bigger issue in that we're not as... Linux and open source people were not prepared to pay for software. Um, if you use a Mac or if you use Windows, if you use Windows or even iOS and Android, you seem to be much more willing to pay a few pounds to get the best kind of Reddit client, for example, or an RSS reader than you would be on a Linux desktop. And and it really affects development and it affects the quality of the applications that we get to use and how Linux appears to compete with other options. And I think the principle, of course, Paul Davis understands the sensitivity of this and says you, that you can do this, but you doing this is pretty shitty, and I agree with him. I concur with everything you've said. Yeah, I mean, I have a painful admission this week in the fact that my long-standing gripe with my Microsoft Virtual Machine <laughs> license, I finally got <laughs> fed up and decided it needs to be legit. So I bought a fucking Windows 10 pro license for xvat 210 quid and i literally get nothing for that like nothing and you see the effort that people in open source projects put in like the the sheer work they put in is worth so many times the multiple of a crappy windows license and you know it didn't cost microsoft anything to write that whereas at least Paul Davis is like doing new stuff every week that he's he's getting paid to do that work and he's working away and stuff. Whereas what are they doing? I mean, they're they're kind of sitting back milking a, a Windows 3.11 code base, you know, in certain archaic parts of it. Hang on, hang on. They're just about to release Windows 11. It's going to be completely new. <laughs> yeah, fucking. You, do you realize how much fun and joy that got from some of the guys <laughs> I work with? That they heard, they, they posted it. I went, you were fucking joking. And they went... Mm-mm. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure Windows 11 will be crap anyway, so I think I made the right choice. The even numbers are the good ones, right? Yeah, exactly. It goes on off, doesn't it? And 7 was good, 8 was shit, 10 was good, so 11 will be shit. I think that you're both right here, but that is the deal with open source, that people can take it and distribute it. And it's as much as this person is a bit of a dick for doing it. They are within their legal rights to do so. And so it's a it's a tricky problem. And realistically, almost no one is going to compile it from source on Windows or Mac. They're just going to pay their little bit 
Because it's not even very expensive, is it? No, you can pay a dollar and get the builds. Right. Well, yeah, fuck's sake. Like, you're going to use more in fucking electricity compiling it, probably, if you don't know what you're doing and you've got a shit computer. But at the same time, you can build it and distribute it under the terms of the GPL. So that's why there's nothing he can do. Like, he's not deleted the thread or edited the link or anything because, you know, that's the deal with the license. I think the reality is that if you are not intending to pay money for Ardor anyway, then the fact that these binaries exist on archive.org is, is not really the thing that's stopping them from getting the money. Monetarily, I don't think this is going to make a big difference to them. I think that most users on Windows will say, you know what, it's a dollar to come from the legitimate source that I trust. That's money well spent. So I hope that it doesn't have an impact on their project. But uh, I agree with both what Phelim and Graham have said, that it's a kind of shitty thing to do. But ultimately, whatevs. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we always look at this and we always complain about there's no decent way to distribute money that you could pay mm. every month towards various projects, like like a Patreon for, well, not except everybody not having to have a patron, if you know what I mean. Um, what if it was open source? What if it was distributed? What if it was uh, blocks in a chain, maybe? Mm. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> have you got some of these magic beans I could have right now? <laughs> I have, yeah. Let me tell you about Bitcoin failing. It's this new thing. Take all my money right now. <laughs> <laughs> what about this Steam Pal then, which has been leaked over the last couple of weeks? This is supposedly going to be Valve's new handheld Switch-like gaming PC. I'd be excited to see this. Now, it's very early days, and I think we're dealing with pure rumour here, but um, the idea fits very neatly in, in my mind anyway, into the overall Valve ecosystem. They've done a lot of work on making games work on Linux. They've done a lot of work on making games work well over a streaming network interface so that you can play games on one machine remotely. And those things seem to come together very tidily into a handheld device like a Switch, Switch sort of form factor you can take around with you and either play games locally like you would on a normal you know, gaming device or even stream games from your home, your home PC, over the internet to this device that you carry with you. If indeed that is what they do, I'm quite excited and um, I think this will be a, a cool little device. I also hope that it will be quite reasonably priced and this will be a nice thing that you can add on to your gaming collection, your gaming system collection, rather than um, something like the Switch, which is incredibly expensive in my mind. And also a real walled garden. And that's the nice thing about Valve and Steam generally. Steam's a walled garden, isn't it? It's a walled garden. But I mean, I've had games in my Steam library that still run from like 2007. And you can install it on as many machines as you want to, and you can share your library with other people. Um, you can play two-player games locally, even if they're, I mean, two-player single-screen games. There's, it is a wall garden. There's DRM that some of the other publishers put on, but by default it doesn't have it. Um, but it, that's kind of flexible in the way that Steam's implemented it, rather than in the Switch way, where you can't run code on their devices. What about the name, though, Steam Pal? That suggests that it is a friend to your Steam machine. Like People are saying that this is going to be x86-based, but that's going to be really expensive to get something that's going to perform really well, surely. Whereas if it was an ARM-based little device that is only really a Steam Link with a screen and controllers, 
wouldn't that make a lot more sense? Yeah, I would be surprised to the point of eating my own hat if it was x86 or in intel based you look at the switch which is arm based it can play games locally it's got a decent graphics card you know it's good enough it's not um ps5 quality but it's good enough and the games are great and if you can have good enough gaming experience on a switch or on a mobile phone then there's no reason in my mind that you would want to play the latest AAA games on a portable device you could run those from home and stream it to the device if you want to play games locally then i think you'll have a different choice a different library of games to play which would be more akin to mobile games or switch games okay this episode is sponsored by cbt nuggets training for it professionals or anyone looking to build it skills go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night linux and sign up for a seven day free trial The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux it includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. Google has finally launched Fuchsia, and what a launch it was. It was so spectacular. Uh, oh no, hang on, no. It was on the Google Nest Hub, first generation, I think, only, and the UI is totally the same, and you have to literally go into menus to see that it's not running a Linux kernel anymore. It's running Fuchsia. This is the the most underwhelming launch of what is potentially going to be one of the biggest operating systems in the world, I think. Which is very clever of them, because you're not going to push your brand new untested kernel out to every single Chromebook user in the world and find out it doesn't work. So I think they made the right choice here, roll it out onto something that probably doesn't really matter if it breaks they can push a fix out easy enough no one's really going to mind so i think it was a a smart move to do it in an underwhelming manner i hope everybody's immersion gets turned on and left (laughs) on (laughs) but not even everyone who's got one of these nest hubs has actually got the future update they seem to be doing some sort of ab maybe or maybe even just pushing it to a small number of devices and it's because of that flutter ui on top of it that you just wouldn't know that's sort of the whole point of Flutter, and that's really the, the big story here. We saw Flutter come into the Ubuntu desktop, and that was this big launch, and you can develop now on Ubuntu with the Snap and all the rest of it. And Google wants to get that UI everywhere and people building applications for that UI so that when it comes to Android and Chrome OS, doing the old switcheroo to make it permissively licensed future will be far, far easier. It'll be trivial, like it was this. I mean, it sounds, obviously a lot of work went into it, but it seems like it wasn't a big deal, and that's why they didn't make a big deal of it. They didn't even mention it at their developer conference, I.O., that they've just had. To me, it proves their motivations here, that they want to stealthily have Fuchsia replace Linux. And I don't think they're going to stop with these little IoT devices. I think it'll, you know, be IoT, then phones, then the Chromebooks, and then eventually the data center. And then one day we're going to wake up and be like, shit, what happened to Linux? Yeah. 
but what can we do with Linux on most of those devices anyway? Well, true. <laughs> but you're right. I suspect that, you know, future is the next Google 3.0, you know, maybe taking a leaf out of Apple's book and, you know, kind of dumping the open source parts to, to build, yeah, even though I know it's open source, but at least it's more in their control. Yeah, it's more open source like Android is open source. Mm. Phelan, are you not worried about this then? I don't know, because yes, we get a lot of work from various devs feeding back into the kernel. But I wonder if they've kind of reached that limit where they're not going to really be doing too much more. Are they of any value? And, you know, the other thing is, will it be killed? Because, I mean, <laughs> let's just put that out there. Killed by Google yet or not? You know, I mean, it's it doesn't go without sort of thing. Like, would you, would you as an OEM trust to use this OS that they might kill? At least with Linux, you've got the advantage of the fact that there's more people using the damn thing. But if you build your application with Flutter, then it doesn't matter. It'll run anywhere. Just like Java. <laughs> exactly. It'll be an amazing success. Only this time there won't be a big fucking lawsuit because they made it themselves. I'm, I'm trying to think whether I feel, you know, worried or not. I mean, I'm far more worried about things like WSL. Um, I think that is far more dangerous. Like, I think, as you say, like, these are devices. I mean, they're going the way where even modern Android phones, you're not going to be able to do much with them to the point where so much stuff is built into the play services that it's it's a brick by the time it's you don't have any of those things on it. So I don't know whether I'm even concerned about their stuff. I think I'm kind of over anything that they've done. But it might be naive, I don't know. But yeah, I, I don't know. I guess wait and see. I don't like it, maybe, but maybe they've just had enough of trying to play along and be do no evil sort of thing. Just a quick shout out for Pharonix, who've turned 17 years old recently. It's pretty much just Michael Larabelle these days. And the post that he wrote about it, that man is working his fucking bollocks off, like 100-hour weeks and stuff. It's ridiculous. And, you know, he's, COVID has not treated him well with the whole ads industry and everything, and all the users are using Adblock and everything. So, um, yeah, check out uh, this post anyway. And, um give them a few quid or turn your ad blocker off at least when you look at Phronix because Phronix is a great site like it churns out so much content and you know a lot of it is very niche benchmarking or whatever but he is a valuable contributor to the Linux and open source news ecosystem so uh, happy birthday and I hope you stick around for another 17 years plus okay this episode is sponsored by Entroware go to entroware.com Entroware sells computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They have a range of desktops, laptops and servers, and most parts are configurable, so you can pick the CPU, RAM and storage that's right for you. Check out their new Proteus laptop with an 11th gen Core i7 option with XE graphics, 73 watt hour battery, Thunderbolt 4 with Type-C power delivery and display output, up to 4 terabytes of NVMe storage, and a 15.6 Full HD display with an ultra-thin bezel, and also their new Poseidon desktop, which has 2.5 gigabit Ethernet, an 11th gen Core i9 option, up to 128 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM, up to 16 terabytes of storage, all in a sound dampened case. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, there's a little drop-down at checkout where you can select Late Night Linux so that they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. 
If you want to join those people, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And just a quick plug for Late Night Linux Extra 23 that was released a couple of days ago as we record. That was a chat with an Arch user. Well, not even an Arctix Linux user, which is Arch without System D. And uh, he wrote to us, and um, so I had a chat uh, with him, with Chris, who you may remember from the Chromebooks episode. And uh, yeah, he was just advocating this guy Orlando for using Arch. And uh, we've already had some feedback about that, which we'll talk about next week. So have a listen to that in preparation. Link in the show notes. Right, quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. What's this first one? Pine Farm KDE patron. Yeah, so Pine have become a KDE patron for work on the phone OS, which obviously I think their default now is Manjaro and KDE. So yeah, I think they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is and they're become one of the, the several patrons that are there, like Blue Systems, Sousa and QT, etc. Uh, Canonical too. And, you know, I think that's a good thing. And, you know, hopefully that will be my phone of the future. Dare to dream, eh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what's this KDE Neon's Qt is now built from KDE's Git branches? Yeah, so it'll be interesting to hear what Graham thinks about this, because this is where we thought we might end up in a weird situation where Qt has stopped support on 5, they've moved to 6, but KDE is kind of stuck in the fact that they can't get to 6 yet. So they have decided that all their patches and all their work has been put back against QT5, and that's where they're building their main QT branch from. So I think that's a good thing, hopefully. And I'd just be interested to see. I wonder if anybody else is going to start using it. I do think it's a good thing, and I don't think it's a fork. I think it's just a practical solution to the problem. It's the only thing they could have done, really. Yeah, I think so too, security patches-wise and things like that. And yeah, it'll probably take us another year before we have to see QT6 and KDE. So, And on this blog post, you see at the bottom the KDE patrons, and there's one you didn't mention there, Phelan. Maybe you want to grit your teeth and, and say the word Google? Hmm? What? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Sorry, I think you cut out there. Uh, it must have been <laughs> XFC must have broken temporarily there. Did you say Hot Couture Anika or whatever that is? Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Anyway, what's this next one? Media update. Yeah, just uh, a couple here from Nate. Uh, he has a media update of some of the various projects that they were working on, um, what was on track, what was c- completed, and what's maybe at risk for getting finished this year. And it's just a, a bit of an update for all the various products and stuff and, you know, reasons for why they may be delayed and what we can look forward to in either the very relative new term or what's out pretty much now. The other one is the fact that probably as of tomorrow or Wednesday, depending on when it gets packaged for your distro, uh, Plasma 5.2.2 will be out. And there's a lot of bug fixes in this. Paper cuts is where they concentrated a lot of their work and making Wayland fully usable as a, a daily driver. Now, they probably expect it to not be a daily driver for everybody, but the vast majority of stuff might be actually done by then. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I tried switching to Wayland just today, actually, and had a really interesting problem in that my keyboard, um, the shift keys didn't work. Oh, wow. <laughs> I switched right back to X11 and they worked, so it wasn't like a layouts issue. Um, that is and bizarre. I couldn't find an easily Googleable answer, so if anyone has an answer to that. I've got your answer, caps lock. <laughs> <laughs> caps lock didn't work either. Oh. <laughs> that, that is bizarre. I, I switched on my laptop, but I, I rarely use my laptop because I'm not traveling at the moment, so... 
pretty much seemed okay most of the time, but geez, I better take a bit of a better look. I don't know if I even typed much on it, to be honest. Yeah, there, there were bits that worked better, like lib input. I could use the three-finger scrolling on a touchpad, which I really like. Oh, yeah. Try doing some screen sharing and stuff. Really fucking break it. <laughs> right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about all sorts. Some of your feedback, Rocky Linux. It's going to be a bonanza. So until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.